and that is terrifying to know that only one in four ingredients right so not supplemental brands ingredients on the market in the u.s since 1994 has submitted evidence that they're safe welcome to the seam lund podcast my name is seam lund and today we talk with alex tarnava alex is the founder and ceo of drink hrw which is a company that sells molecular hydrogen tablets Molecular hydrogen is one of the most potent antioxidants in nature, and it has a lot of health benefits. As Alex and I will discuss in this episode, molecular hydrogen is like a hormesis molecule that will either lower inflammation or stimulate the nervous system depending on what is needed. I like to drink it in the morning, and it feels great for relieving inflammation or tiredness. If you want to try out Drink HRW, then use the code SIM, S-I-I-M at drinkhrw.com for a 10% discount. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, we we kind of uh, met online uh, when we when I started to like research about uh, molecular hydrogen, and uh, your uh, company was one of the one of the few ones that I came across in terms of uh, providing uh, like a supplement for molecular hydrogen. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty. I recently also had uh, Tyler Leberon on, on my podcast where he talked a lot about the benefits of molecular hydrogen. But I'm also fascinated to talk with you and uh, could you also have like a pretty interesting backstory and, uh, you know, founding the company and just getting into biohacking. But uh, how did you get into yeah. like bio- biohacking? What is your like backstory? Uh, necessity, right, is, you know, the reason. Um, about six years ago, I was at my peak physical condition that I'd ever been in my life. Um, I was training four to six, even eight hours a day, six days a week, even seventh was, you know, active recoveries. Um, You know, I was spending hours a day on, you know, CrossFit, on martial arts, on hiking, um, training at my house. Um, You know, I I was running another business and it gave me a lot of free time. I'd be on the road about a week out of the month and I'd work a hundred, hundred plus hours, you know, that week that I was traveling. Then the other three weeks I'd work about one, two hours a day. So it just was all spent on optimizing my fitness. And um, I got really sick and they don't know what it was. At first, you know, um, there was thoughts, could it be rhabdo? And then there was thoughts, could it be, you know, central nervous system, you know, fatigue. But uh, uh, my best friend and roommate at the time got really sick also. And he was a a competitive athlete and um, it hit us in completely different ways. He had pneumonia. For a few weeks right missed work uh, whereas i had developed sudden onset narcolepsy right oh. i'd fall asleep if i sat down for any more than a minute or so i was sleeping you know 16 hours a day or something crazy oh. like that um my body had like 70 to 100 times uh more c-reactive proteins than would be expected it was at like 34 milligrams per deciliter for weeks on end so not per liter, per deciliter. Like it was just crazy, crazy high inflammation. Um, you know, they thought it might be, you know, chronic or central nervous system fatigue because uh, I had no loss in strength, you know, for things like deadlift, squat, bench press, but uh, I had no explosive capabilities. You know, I went from like a 54 inch plyometric box jump to I couldn't jump an inch off the ground. Mm. Right, you know, from being able to string together 20 bar muscle ups to not being able to do a chest to bar, right? There was just no explosive ability in my body. Um, 
when the dust kind of settled, it just, uh, uh, you know, my, my inflammation just dropped basically in a three day period, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the doctor I had at the time thought I had a virus that they couldn't figure out. Right. right. So when that dust settled, I had, um, osteoarthritis in uh, 11 spots, including I had progressed to moderate to advanced osteoarthritis in my left shoulder. It's, you know, continued to be screwed up. Um, I, I have no, no uh, cartilage left in my glenohumeral joint wow. in my left shoulder. <laughs> so, uh, but at that time, like, um, I, I wasn't ready to come to terms that, you know, I basically had a crippled body at 29 years old. Um, so I was just, uh, you know, I was put on a thousand milligrams of naproxen a day, um, by, by, uh, my doctor, um, at the time. And, uh, I, I had a few, um, cortisone injections and a hyaluronic acid injection, and I continued trying to train as much as I could and just ignore the fact that my body was largely broken in a lot of ways. I wasn't modifying, wasn't adapting, just trying to get back into it. But I, I knew that wasn't a long-term solution. So I was just scouring PubMed, looking for anything that could kind of regulate the inflammatory response. I knew that I couldn't just uh, keep taking a thousand milligrams of naproxen a day and getting, you know, cortisone injections every few months. Like it just wasn't a, a feasible forever solution, especially the fact that I was 29, like not in my sixties, right. You know, 29 trying to train. Um, hydrogen popped up on my radar, you know, and, uh, it had already been on my radar from a few years before, but I'd been looking at it from um, kind of the antioxidant standpoint and ability to neutralize a hydroxyl radical, which was a lot of the early understanding of the science. I didn't really care that much about that at 29. I didn't think it was a problem for me, so I wasn't going to spend exorbitant amounts of money on it. But when I started reading papers that it was um, regulating the inflammatory response, um, I pulled the trigger. I bought a machine that was like $4,500 right? Thinking it would, you know, help me out. Um, not a lot of time went by. Um, I think it was kind of like a September to May type time frame, And I developed multiple ulcers, right? From the naproxen use. Um, I fainted in the gym a few times, like in a week period, I just, I wasn't absorbing nutrients. So uh -huh. I wasn't able to train. Um, so I had to completely, you know, stop taking the anti-inflammatories and within, you know, a week, my shoulder was completely frozen, you know, oh. couldn't properly get a shirt on, couldn't, you know, do anything. And that made me think, okay, this, this hydrogen water doesn't work at all. Right. Um, so I went back to PubMed and frustratingly, I, I saw some more new articles talking about molecular hydrogen. Um, and it, it, it at first pissed me off because I'm like, you know, this is bullshit, right? This is why you can't trust like, you know, small like human pilot studies and preclinical evidence, right? It doesn't work in, in the real world. And that actually will, I'll talk later about the not-for-profit. I'm, you know, I've started, you know, to, to look into what works for individuals and assess data, you know, to improve biohacking. But um, then it just dawned on me, like, how do I even know there's hydrogen in this water, mm. right? Like, I, I had just trusted the salesman's word, you know? So um, I had actually been talking to Tyler LeBaron by email because I had a lot of really pointed questions before I got into hydrogen and I found his info. Um, 
you know, especially because the, the salesman who, who sold me the machine made a lot of like egregious claims about it, curing all diseases, doing all this, it just raised all my red flags. Um, so I was just, you know, talking to him and like trying to like figure out therapeutic doses and everything. Um, I found out about the reagent that you could test for hydrogen levels. Um, I got that. Um, I tested the water coming out of my machine. It was getting no detectable hydrogen dissolved. Um, I took it in for a deep clean. It was supposed to work after that. It was still getting no detectable hydrogen. I had to basically triple the input to um, reduce a single drop. So it was like 0 0.03 parts per million, right? Which is, you know, one seventeenth the minimum observed therapeutic threshold, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just no chance that it was going to work in any regard. Um, you know, and then uh, it, it just kind of motivated me because I'm like, I don't know that hydrogen doesn't work because I haven't been getting hydrogen, right? So I started uh, experimenting with some other options in the market. Um, all of them I had to make considerable adjustments to because none of the products back then worked. Um, you know, but once I really, um, adapted another product so that it was no longer recognizable to what it had been sold to me as, um, within about 10 days, my, my shoulder unfroze, right? Mm -hmm. Like it obviously didn't heal my cartilage or anything, but, you know, I could put on a jacket, I could, you know, do some workouts that weren't over, you know, of like above like head, um, I could sleep at night, right? Because my shoulder hurt so bad I wasn't sleeping through the night. So I thought, okay, there could be something here. And uh, from then, um, it just started as a do-it-yourself project because, again, I didn't want to support any of these companies that I had been buying products from and importing. Um, all of them were making a lot of really unethical claims regarding curing a lot of various diseases they had a lot just littered with pseudoscience throughout, you know, their marketing. Um, several of them contacted me. Like I, I didn't realize, you know, how embryonic the, the commercial industry was at that time. So when they see a new consumer, right. Buying multiple of them, like would email me trying to get me to join as an affiliate when I was just trying to try, buy a product, like, I haven't emailed them, haven't asked them a question, getting cold called to be an affiliate because I bought the product. One of the companies even gave my phone number to one of their like master distributors who called me to try and convince me. So I just didn't want to give my business to any of these companies. And what I was making was no longer recognizable from what they were selling. Right. So um, I set about um, my do it yourself project, but as I was doing it and it was working, I had a bit of a sober, you know, second thought. Um, I understood the chemistry well enough, but I didn't want to um, win a Darwin award by blowing up my house. Right. right? <laughs> you know, dealing with, you know, elemental magnesium, it's burns at like 6,000 Celsius. It's highly explosive. It's a white and fireworks. Right. Yeah. So, you know, magnesium and hydrogen, I'm like, you know, I, I better like, get someone to look over my shoulder here and make sure that I'm doing things properly. I found my founding partner. He, he's a PhD medicinal chemist, um, runs a team for a pharmaceutical company. At first he told me it was the worst pseudoscience he'd ever heard in his life and said, I'm doing you a favor, like save your money. 
So I sent him, like, I answered all of his objections because I'd, I'd been looking into the science for about a year at that time, sent him some of the, the better publications on it. And, you know, he kind of quipped after that, well, I, I suppose there's enough evidence for a supplement, right? Um, started looking over my work. I just kind of sent him a new publication every day to keep reading. And um, serendipitously, I, I sent him an article on uh, rheumatoid or sorry, I sent up an article on Hep B, right? Um, and I didn't realize at the time, because um, it wasn't on his resume, but the project he was leading at his pharmaceutical company was for a cure on Hep B. And he called me for lunch and he said, listen, you know, this is just like, kind of like a, a, you know, phase one, two, like pilot study. Um, but unless this is frauded, this stuff works right like this needs a much deeper look into it you know for the rest of the articles he had to basically just accept the conclusions but for this one it was it was a field he was working on and he said like why do you want to just do this just for yourself have you thought of you know making this a commercial company i had been thinking about it at the time but i just thought to myself like that's a lot of audacity to go into this route. You know, I, I didn't want to just sell a supplement without clinical evidence, right? I had no experience in running clinical research. You know, it's just, there was a lot of doubts, like who am I to like start this, right? Um, but with him and, you know, a few other uh, really positive reinforcements at the time, I just decided, okay, let, let's see what we can do here. Um, it took about three weeks for him to refine the chemistry, you know, I'd worked on. But uh, then making a tablet in a mortar and pestle or making millions at a time is, is very different, right? Like to scale up, to make a manufacturing. So it took us a few weeks to get the formula ideal, right? Just mixing 10, 20 at a time. Uh, but then it took us thousands of iterative adjustments and over a year and 15 failed scale-up attempts before we got our first commercial-ready product, mm. right? So from there, we launched uh, four years ago, October, you know, of 2016. Um, since then, I, I have driven really hard for clinical research, for doing things legally and properly. Um, we have, uh, you know, at this time and, you know, end of September 2020, um, we have six published clinical trials. We have two published case studies. We have four preclinical research programs that are underway, and we have 15 clinical trials that are various stages underway. Some of them, you know, under peer review right now. Um, and I'm, I'm constantly emailing new teams every day to expand clinical research. We, we have a, a really, really, really firm policy on truth and transparency in research. So typically, um, whether it's supplements, pharmaceuticals, devices, um, research for, for, you know, proprietary or private owned ingredients um, come with a lot of contracts. That's the big, you know, slam on private research. What, what that means is uh, usually the, the company that's helping support funding has final say on uh, methodology, protocols, all that stuff so that they can design the trial to try and find an outcome rather than explore if it works. And then they have contracts that it only gets published if a result is found. And that's why you see so many positive trials and not very many negative trials. And the negative trials you see are, are you know, predominantly from public researchers. Um, 
you know, they're trying to make this law. I know in Europe, they're trying to make it law that if any grant funds are used in clinical trials, like it has to be published no matter of the outcome, but there's very low compliance. Like in pharmaceutical, some pharmaceutical companies are below 50% compliance on this, that they're not reporting data, right? Okay. So if you have to run something 10 times to get a result once, did it really work? Or are you just abusing, you know, statistical anomalies? Right. So that was something I, I really, you know, fought for with my shareholders and uh, held strong. Luckily, I, I'm the majority, you know, owner and, you know, also luckily all of them bought into what I was, you know, saying and what I wanted to do. So we're really striving for, for truth and research. But on top of that, um, we, we did what very few other companies did. We went and got new dietary ingredient status from the US FDA. So the FDA estimates only about 4% of companies that are legally required to have an NDI have obtained one. And that's for only ingredients that are available after 1994, mm. right? So anything predating Vichet in 1994 uh, doesn't necessarily have any proof of safety or efficacy or anything like that. After 1994, you legally have to submit an NDI when you have a, a new dietary ingredient, but only 4% of companies estimated have done this right um so that took us a few years and hundreds of thousands of dollars we had to put together um massive you know portfolio of, of all our safety data you know evidence to to suggest use i mean the fda doesn't approve health claims on this evidence they just want a justification of why you're doing it um but just to make sure it's safe our, our manufacturing is safe everything to do with it isn't going to cause any harm to the consumers. And that is terrifying to know that only one in four ingredients, right? So not supplemental brands, ingredients on the market in the US since 1994 has submitted evidence that they're safe. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, and it, like the research about uh, hydrogen is pretty fascinating and uh, yeah like like my last podcast with Tyler was also pretty in-depth about the science and all the uh, benefits uh, but I wanted to uh, touch a little bit about your, your story where you you know fixed your uh, osteo or like is have you solved your uh, arthritis or is it still uh, there well I, I have no I have no cartilage left okay. right like there, there's none left um, and I have multiple labral tears too uh, but uh, I'm still able to train, right? right. So I'm, uh, I'm in my workout gear right now because after this, I'm heading to kickboxing, right? Yeah. So I've had to adjust a lot of things. I can't do CrossFit anymore because I can't do overhead lifts. Um, I can't, uh, you know, I can do chin-ups, but I can't do pull-ups, for instance, just because of the grip. Um, I had to relearn to, to box and kickbox as a southpaw, right? Because I can throw an uppercut and I can throw a straight left, but I can't throw a left hook you know, for instance. So there's things that I've had to do. Um, hydrogen isn't magic. It hasn't regrown my cartilage. Um, nothing has regrown cartilage in humans. You know, there's a couple promising things, uh, a peptide called, you know, S-Link. And, and um, there's new evidence suggesting in rodents that, um, you know, aggravating the remaining cartilage and then stimulating cell stem cells can, can regrow cartilage, at least in mice. Right. So there's some things on the horizon, but nothing really works in humans to, to regrow absent cartilage. Um, but hydrogen lets me sleep at night. Right. It cuts the pain. Um, it it uh, lets me train, you know, in a modified 
capacity to stay reasonably fit and healthy. Um, there's a lot of other things it does. I mean, that's just kind of like the comfort, the pain aspect of me. Um, getting into hydrogen was about my shoulder, but I realized it was so much more right. like our, our clinical research doesn't really involve like, you know, arthritis or pain like that. Um, you know, our biggest clinical trial was on metabolic syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, um, 24 weeks, 60 participant, double blind placebo controlled, um, three of our tablets a day, it, uh, significantly, you know, reversed metabolic syndrome in 18 of the 20 measured outcomes. Right. So it was, what, what pretty, is the, what is the like mechanism or reason? Um, well, so I know Tyler's theory is, is that, uh, hydrogen, um, it is a, a very safe form of hormesis, similar to exercise. We know things like exercise can, uh, can, I mean, diet and exercise are really the only things that do reverse metabolic syndrome and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Um, that was another one of our, our clinical trials was on NAFLD in 28 days. Um, it was just 12 people, but it was double blind placebo control crossover design. So everyone did both placebo and, you know, the hydrogen group. Um, and uh, it significantly reduced liver fat. It um, decreased AST by 10%. And by HOMA2 analysis, it improved insulin sensitivity by 11% in the 28 days. But uh, at its core, hydrogen um, alters like, you know, cell signal transduction, right? It, it changes how our cells communicate. It's shown to alter thousands of different gene expressions for positive outcomes. Um, I know Tyler talked with you about, um, you know, for instance, autophagy, where it's shown to activate autophagy in some models, but other models like in, in, you know, heart failure, it's shown to deactivate autophagy, you know, for a beneficial result. Um, hydrogen's done the same thing with, say, oxidative stress, right? And, um, you know, in some models, it's raised oxidative stress when it's needed and other articles. You know, in other models, it, it's um, improved our, our, you know, antioxidant, you know, production, our endogenous production, you know, super oxide dismutase, catalase, glutathione, um, because it's driving towards redox homeostasis rather than just being a traditional antioxidant that goes in indiscriminately. Um, it's done the same thing with inflammation too, right? It, it's both acutely raised or, or blunted inflammatory responses, depending on the model. Um, there's some cool models, um, in you know viral infections where it actually will will acutely raise inflammation and then blunt it right and do the same thing with you know um hypothermia right to, to basically kill the virus faster and then blunt the consequences of it right. so there's some really interesting stuff with, with hydrogen and uh, how it seems to to modulate our responses to stress right even yeah. with exercise um there's some really cool models um that, that show like in rodents, you know, when, you know, rodents are given hydrogen as they're exercising, it will actually acutely raise oxidative stress to potentiate the, the you know, hormetic response from exercise and then quickly mo like utilize a, a antioxidant defense system. So redox homeostasis recovers quicker, mm -hmm. right? So you're getting more out of your exercise and recovering faster. Yeah. It's like a, you know, the, yeah, the, the most common benefit of uh, molecular hydrogen is the anti-inflammatory and uh, an antioxidant benefits. 
but uh, like like I said, it can also be like a pro-oxidant when it's needed. So it's like a self-regulating uh, uh, response and the perfect, I don't know what you would call it, but maybe like a hormesis molecule or something <laughs> that is, is more appropriate because it mimics some aspects of exercise. It mimics some aspects of like fasting and also like these other hormetic activities like the sauna and so on. So you're automatically regulating the um, redox uh, status and- uh, 100%. But 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 and also like maybe one of the reasons why so many people see these anti-inflammatory benefits have to do with just that they are they are very inflamed and like in in the case exactly. of metabolic in the case of metabolic syndrome it's the it's a case of just overexpression of inflammation oxidative stress and in that scenario the molecular hydrogen is the the main or the main benefit molecular hydrogen would do is to lower that inflammation but in the other case where, where you would need like a bump then it would do that so it's a very adaptable uh, molecule based, based upon what you need. A hundred percent. And that's the thing. That's why most people think antioxidants are good. Anti-inflammatories are good because most people have too much oxidative stress and too much inflammation, right? right. But that's not always true, right? In fact, uh, even when we look at, uh, you know, COVID-19, right? That there's some paper, papers that show that people are, are uh, in some cases, they're, they're getting no um, inflammatory response you know, immune response with inflammation in the early stages when they're asymptomatic and then their bodies are panicking and, you know, yeah. there's too much inflammation and in, in cytokine storm. And that, that could be one of the, the, you know, reasons why it's so devastating it is um, basically just an improper inflammatory response, right? And that, that's exactly. kind of what hydrogen has shown to do it is to regulate the inflammatory response. Right, so that there's appropriate, you know, homeostatic levels um, based on the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, hydrogen is hormesis. I mean, that's what uh, Tyler Rota has written a couple of reviews on that, detailing everything. And uh, it's not just exercise, like you said, fasting. I mean, um, hydrogen administration has shown to significantly extend fruit flies survival rates when when they're starved. Um, mm -hmm. Hydrogen has shown to potentially potentiate the benefits of cold, you know, um, exposure and ischemic perfusion and, you know, injury, right? So hydrogen ha has um, gone hand in hand with a lot of forms of hormesis, even, um, you know, radiation therapy, right, can be one of the most damaging things to our cells. But uh, there's a lot of papers and a lot of preclinical models showing that very low dose radiation can, can be a hormetic stress that has beneficial outcomes. And hydrogen ha has preclinical and clinical evidence showing that it protects against radiation damage, right? You know, in, in fact, there was one cancer model where, where it significantly improved quality of life in patients receiving radiation. And, you know, that's another one of our ongoing clinical trials is, um, you know, going on in the USA is uh, patients with high-grade gliomas getting radiation and or chemo, and they're also being given hydrogen water, right, from our tablets to investigate you know, improve quality of life and right. decrease side effects. Yeah, what, 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 but why is that? Like, what is what is molecular hydrogen that is so like magical? You know, and, and this is um, this is it is something that I really want to do some research on. So I don't want to give away like my whole thoughts on, on the subject, but uh, I, I believe hydrogen may play a physiological role that we were not aware of. You know, when we look, um, there's a lot of evolutionary ties to hydrogen that I'm sure Tyler talked about, you know, in, in his podcast with you. But uh, we always have a certain amount of hydrogen gas in our cells, right? We're producing about 10 liters a day. 
mm-hmm. right? There's some hypotheses going on about, um, you know, endogenous production of hydrogen gas and, and responder non-responder effect. Because in hydrogen therapy, there seems to be about 75, 80% of participants respond to it, but about 20% don't. But there's also super responders. 20 to 30% of people tend to be super responders, right? Um, there's a lot of evidence that hydrogen um, has positive impacts to our microbiota, right? So it could be something to do with uh, people's endogenous production of hydrogen, because we know that just drinking, say, enough water that gives you 1.6 milligrams um, of hydrogen will acutely double your cellular concentrations, right? And it's only in there for five, 10 minutes, right? Completely gone within an hour, right? So it's just a short exposure, but the short exposure uh, of doubling or more of cellular concentrations then shows all of these changes to gene expression, right? Correcting, you know, back towards homeostasis. So I've started thinking about hydrogen kind of like um, an auditor for your cells or a regulator, right? Um, if you think, uh, you know, you, you, you have a, a, a Nike shoe factory, right? And one line is making, you know, the insole and another line is making, you know, the soles of the shoes and another is making the laces and another is making, you know, the, the shell of the shoe. And um, if there's not an auditor going in, all of a sudden you're piling up too many shoelaces or not enough shoelaces, right? So everything starts getting held behind. And uh, hydrogen seems to go in and turn up and turn down the dials, right? So that systems start running more efficiently, right? You know, more, more in tandem with each other. So, you know, it's something I want to look into, you know, in, uh, and there's some, some, you know, uh, models I've been talking about with some research teams about uh, being involved in to, to look at, um, to try and find the, the physiological relevance of our basal hydrogen levels, right? Mm-hmm. And how, you know, exogenous hydrogen can impact this, right? right? You know, because why does it only work in four to five people? You know, that, that is true for a lot of molecules, right? Even something, you know, as ubiquitous as caffeine only works in about 80% of people, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, that, that's kind of my, my current thought is, right. I like how, simplifying how, 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 an auditor. How does, how does the body create it? Like, uh, is the microbiome doing it or is it the result of yeah, some cellular it, processes? It's, or? It's, it's bacteria breaking down carbohydrates in your small intestine. Okay. Right. right. So, and where, and where do you get it from? Like nature, uh, you know, hydrogen is a ubiquitous uh, molecule. Yeah, well, it's in the air. You're breathing it in, right? You know, like it, it's produced in your body through, through the bacteria in your small intestine. So we're exposed to hydrogen all the time. Right. So that's why it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that such a small amount comes with such profound benefits. Right. You know, when, when you think, um, you know, the hydrogen tablets, the open cup hydrogen tablets that I invented can, can deliver, you know, about 80 milliliters of hydrogen gas is what you're getting. Right. When you, you drink down the half a liter at once, that's 80 milliliters. Right. You know, opposed to maybe 10 liters that you're producing throughout the day. Right. Now, when you look at it, that sounds like such a drop in in the bucket, but then you look at that on a minute to minute, how long throughout the day it takes you to be producing that hydrogen gas and the levels that are in your cells. And then you look at at 
the spike in cellular concentration for that mm. short amount of time. Right. And, and that's when it starts to make sense. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, like if you, on a daily basis, uh, habitually the body is producing hydrogen, but it's, it's so it's making it over the, over the span of the entire day. So it's in a very small basal level. Whereas if you take it as a supplement or something, you kind of increase the concentration acutely and you get this, you, you, you reach a certain threshold after which your body starts to adapt and uh, turns on these uh, gene expressions and starts to, you know, uh, regulate all these processes that we talked about so, so far. So it's the acuteness of it that is mat matters. Exactly. And this, this is further backed up. There, there's uh, evidence showing in preclinical models, um, you know, that uh, continuous exposure, right, hydrogen gas, say you give it to rodents all day long, there's no benefit. Mm. right you know even when you get a smaller dose when it's acute right high concentration right it's effective whereas you know a lower concentration 24 7 is not effective at all right yeah. you know and it's something you know tyler and i have talked about on the recorded talks i've had with them is you know he's like you know every researcher in hydrogen just knows you expose a cell culture to hydrogen you know 24 7 and you see nothing there's no changes, right? You know, or if the cell is healthy, there's nothing wrong with it. You see no changes, right? But when you damage the cell and then expose it, expose it to an acute blast of hydrogen, yeah. that's when you see all the corrections take place. Nice, nice. Yeah, and maybe like the same analogies, you know, found in exercise or something. <laughs> or if you were to exercise uh, all day, then your body would probably adapt and you would see less benefit. Whereas if you, you know, take the time to benefit. Yeah. Right. Like you look at Olympic athletes, right. Or guys that are training eight, 10 hours a day. Um, sometimes a guy in peak physical condition can have the testosterone of an 80 year old man. Right. Cause he's overtraining. Right. You know, so I mean, exercise is hormesis. It's a stress, right. It's a beneficial stress and it takes all, there, there's a very long, you know, flatness, you know, in, in the, the, you know, uh, reverse J right. Mm -hmm. For, you know, to benefit and then, you know, damage, um, you know, just incredibly flat opposed to like, say alcohol is a sharp, yeah. a very sharp J with a biphasic response, but exercise also has a biphasic response, right? So does heat exposure. So does cold exposure. Any hormetic stress is going to have a biphasic response where it, it can be both beneficial and damaging, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on, on the dose. Um, likely this is true for hydrogen as well. We just have not reached that dose. Right? right. It's so safe that we don't know what the dose is where it becomes damaging. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, because it's, uh, you know, if, if, if you, if you have already done studies in like mice where they are exposed to it, you know, 24 seven and they don't see like any you know, benefits or changes, then it's probably relatively safe. Or it's, it's almost like oxygen <laughs> or some, yeah, some, I mean, something, it, something really hard to overdose. We'll even use like, um, you know, like uh, the U.S. military and like in deep sea diving, they, they use mixtures with hydrogen gas and they'll be exposed to a thousand times higher dose than they use in clinical research, right? In deep sea diving. And in fact, like you will see hydrogen narcosis, right? But it takes a higher dose of hydrogen narcosis. Um, it takes a higher dose of hydrogen than nitrogen right to reach narcosis and hydrogen has actually shown some improvements in the neurological outcomes when, when exposed to to the stresses of deep sea diving too right so i mean from that angle we know that it takes more hydrogen than nitrogen right to to 
cause these issues. And I mean, nitrogen is the majority of what we're breathing all day long. Yeah. Um, what yeah like what what about uh, you know the timing then uh, you know what is what would be like maybe the best time to take it you don't want to take it all the time uh, all day so when is the like best time to take it i am a fan of first thing in the morning on an empty stomach um the reason for this is um one of one of my uh, patent applications involves um creating foams and gels you know with hydrogen and polysaccharides okay. right you know i i can basically turn certain fibers with hydrogen gas into jello right that that's semi-stable so to me that suggests that if you're drinking hydrogen water with a bunch of carbohydrates then that will be slowing your uptake yeah. right because the hydrogen could be infusing in your stomach right so it, it's a bit of a logical leap right and we don't have enough data yet but with what we can see in controlled experiments I'd say don't, at least don't drink your hydrogen water in conjunction with carbs, right? Complex carbs, right? That could be causing, you know, a slowdown of it to enter your system. Um, if you're going to work out, we, we again, uh, it seems to be more effective, right? When, uh, when it's consumed five to 10 minutes before you exercise. Okay. Right. Um, but in uh, other ways, I mean, um, our most recently published clinical trial was uh, um, pitting one of our tablets against 100 milligrams of caffeine after 24 hours sleep deprivation in young, healthy adults. And it found equivalent raises in um, alertness, right? In the attention network test, right? And uh, we hear it all the time. You know, if you're say mid-afternoon, you're run down, you had a bad sleep the night before, you drink hydrogen and it's not a stimulant, right? You're not going to get a burst of like energy like you would right. like caffeine. It's more of the absence of feeling tired, right? It just kind of clears your head and you, you get back as if you weren't exhausted and couldn't think, right? So we hear that all the time. Same thing, you know, if you, you indulged the night before, right? You, you went partying and drank or did drugs. Um, one of the, the most common anecdotes we hear is... Um, you know, hydrogen water impacting um, hangovers. Um, there's a little bit of preclinical evidence on this, uh, both for ethanol-induced, like alcohol-induced hangover, and on uh, methamphetamine, you know, neurotoxicity, where hydrogen has shown a benefit. Um, it's actually something uh, I'm doing, a, a, kind of like a, a double-blind placebo-controlled crossover um, trial with my wife, right? <laughs> on um, Basically, we're looking at uh, the, the biophasic response of um, alcohol exposure, uh, right. primarily on REM sleep, right, in a low, medium, high group. But uh, we're also looking on if uh, hydrogen modulates this. So this is something we've been doing, and she hates me for because we've been doing this week after week for the last six months. <laughs> she has to drink exactly how much I tell her. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have to do our, you know, um, to get your our, our yeah, yeah. Well, I, and it's something that you know really interests me, right? Because we just have such a dearth of you know, human evidence on, on ethanol and what it does, right? And, and um, the evidence we do have is really um, more like kind of like prospective cohort where they just do questionnaires, look at, you know, um, outcomes and everything like that. And it, it's something I've been talking to uh, one of our new um, contributing 
writers uh, at Drink HRW is an epidemiologist and his study is alcohol is a fact on the Australian population. And there's just such a lack of evidence on personalized response, right? Because there's so many factors at play, right? With, with any form of hormesis, but especially something with, with a tight J like, tight reverse J like ethanol. Um, what is your genetic makeup? What's your ethanol clearance, right? Um, what, what's your, you know, body weight, your gender? What's your activity? Like how, how much are you working out? You know, even how hot is it outside in the day? What did you eat? What were your macronutrients? We, we know that all of these play an important role in, in blood alcohol concentration. So why wouldn't they on our physiological response to the stress? Right. And, and research doesn't tackle these, these questions. It, it's, you know, when in alcohol, it's, it's, you know, and that's why with something like alcohol, I think the preclinical evidence is more telling than the clinical research because the clinical research is so structured with the one size fits all approach, right. To things when there's so many factors at play, even timing, right. Say maybe you drink, um, a glass of wine at 10 p.m. before you go to sleep and it disrupts your sleep. What if you drank it at 5 p.m. and you blow a zero by six, right? Now that stress happened to you, you know, early evening, right? And you're fully recovered, right? You might improve your sleep, right? And again, these are really important, you know, things we need to look at, um, not just, you know, for alcohol, but for hydrogen, exercise, cold exposure, heat exposure, um, I know you're really interested in hormesis. I am too, right? It's one of my favorite topics. And I, I think, uh, you know, the future of hormesis is personalized responses sure. and knowing yeah. what the appropriate stress is for each person. Uh, for someone like me, I get heat stroke, like incredibly easily. Mm. I cannot make it through a hot yoga class. I'll faint, mm. right. right? I'll take ice water, right? I'll, I'll um, you know, be, be applying the ice water to my head. I just can't do it. Um, I go on a tropical vacation and sometimes I'll be holed up in my hotel room because I was out for four hours and got heat stroke. Whereas the cold, I can walk around in minus 30 in a t-shirt and be fine, right? I can go into a cryo chamber and I barely shiver and I can hold a conversation, right? You know, the cold doesn't affect me. I mean, um, you know, uh, I know you, you, uh, like cold exposure. I mean, um, I don't even find it cold. I, I have a Uller and I have my air conditioning at 17 Celsius and it's not cold enough for me. Right. My, my wife has to wrap herself in blankets cause she's shivering and I'm still kind of running hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Everyone has their own, let's say stress adaptation level and uh, the, there are like different um, mediums uh, for stress adaptation and different types of stressors. So yeah, you can really train either like the cold or you can train the heat or you can train exercise and uh, they, they don't necessarily, you know, carry over to each other. So yeah, you, you know, that's why, you know, you have to find out which one, you know, what, which ones you can do best uh, or which one suits you, your lifestyle the most. And well, especially like what you need, uh, like maybe someone who has cardiovascular disease, then for them, they can't, you know, although the sauna can be beneficial for, cardiovascular disease and uh, lowering blood pressure and that sort of thing uh, they may not it's may it may not be the best idea to go into like a really hot sauna because they're gonna you know get the uh the negative side effects much more easily and the, the negative side effects may be more dangerous as well compared to someone who's like already used to doing a lot of exercise and that sort of thing so yeah, it's very personalized so that's where 
that that's where maybe like the molecular hydrogen is also like an exception that <laughs> it doesn't matter what your uh, state is or what your condition is it, it can all, always work uh, based upon what you need in a particular setting yeah. at least for 80 percent of the people is what the the responder you know data seems to represent so far um but i i mean what you're saying is is exactly why i started this you know not-for-profit that i was telling you a bit by email is um so people can can learn a bit of basic scientific controls right you know and um record their data i mean i am firmly of the belief that that uh, with, with the wearable technology we have available to us today we, we have more access to information right than than the top researchers in the world did just a few decades ago right but it's going to waste right because people aren't tracking their data right they're not comparing it to control sets right they're, they're trying 10 things at the same time rather than one thing at once right so this not-for-profit i've uh you know funded and founded and you know there's a scientific advisory board of volunteers also um we're teaching basic scientific principles and how to just basic do controlled case studies on yourself how to record the data and we're writing templates right so you want to try cold exposure here's a template of what you should do what you should be recording now look at your data before and after, right? See if it worked, right? And then it's going to be basically documenting all of this information. So you can look and say, I wanted to sleep better because of cold exposure, right? 10,000 people have tried this. It worked for 6,000 people, right? 2,000 weren't sure. 2,000 said they had a worse response, right? And you can start seeing trends, right? And, and that's something we're really lacking, you know, I, I think in, in society and data. Um, when the project gets into it, um, we're going to allow people to confidentially um, submit their genetic reports, right? So you, and then uh, it'll only be available to to public researchers, not to private teams or anything like that, um, with proper consent and everything. But then public researchers can start going in and looking at, uh, you know, target like genetic carriers, like you know, what alleles do people have that say respond better to cold or to alcohol or to this diet or that diet? You know, that's another thing I, I firmly believe um, with, with diet is there is no best diet in the world. There's a best diet for each person, right? Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's why there's so much conflicting data on, you know, diet science, right? Because one diet might work fantastic for 30% of the people, but be detrimental for another 20% based on multiple factors like your genetic makeup, your microbiome, your activity level, right? Like I know for myself and I know there's, there's a lot of good uh, research on, on say um, the keto diet, right? And I put myself into ketosis once in a while, right? Like I, I do two 48 hour fasts a week. Um, I do six 72s a year and I do two one twenties a year. So I'll acutely go into ketosis, but I, I carry one APOE4 allele. And every time I've tried a high fat, you know, ketogenic diet, even for a couple of months pushing past, you know, keto flu, I lose muscle, I gain fat, I sleep more, I feel stupid, I lack energy, right? And it wasn't until I analyzed my genes and saw that, that I'm like, okay, this makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. This diet is not for me. It could be fantastic for a significant like percentage of the population, but not for me. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but looking back at uh, your like journey, uh, did you figure out like what caused this, uh, you know, you know, health problems, uh, arthritis, and that sort of thing? 
what was the maybe reason uh, that happened? It, they they couldn't figure it out with either myself or my friend, right? Um, you know, it hit me a lot worse. Like I would have preferred to have pneumonia for a few weeks, right? Uh, he definitely took a hit, right? A lot of his old injuries are, are still bugging him now. They just, he fell apart a little bit right after two, but not to the extent that I did. Um, of course, I had a lot of damage, like my shoulder that developed really bad. Um, it was going to be a problem at some point in my life. It just sped it up. I, I, uh, I broke my shoulder a quarter inch below the joint in football and it pierced through the muscle, mm. right? You know, so every spot that I have arthritis now, I had a really bad break. You know, I've broken a lot of bones just playing contact sports my entire life. Um, but no, they, they didn't know. They, they ran tests every week, a couple times a week for a couple months and they couldn't figure out what I had. Um, the GP I had at that time just said it was a mystery virus. Must have been. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And it's uh, especially weird, you know, because uh, it happens to like physically healthy and fit people who, who are like, you know, uh, excelling in uh, sports and that sort of thing and then completely changed or like completely uh, took another turn in their life so it's yeah, really weird to think about like most people would never expect that something like that uh, happens to you know athletes and uh, fitness people yeah i mean it, it, it was uh, you know mind-boggling i mean like you know like i said my friend was a fairly competitive amateur athlete too like he top five and things like spartan races at all different distances and top 10 in triathlons and he basically just taught himself how to swim like a year before he started top 10 in triathlons um this guy who uh wasn't a runner but could run a 34 minute 10k right when he picked up running within like a few months of training just a natural athlete really fit um and it just it just devastated both of us um but I mean, hey, like turning lemons into lemonade, right? Like if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't have been doing anything I'm doing right now. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. So every blessing can be, or every curse can be a blessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just gotta roll with the punches, right? And see where it takes you. Yeah. Uh, what What is like the difference? You mentioned that you got like the water generator, but it didn't work. Uh, so what's the difference between the tablets and uh, water generators? So um, different uh, water generators use different types of technology. Um, the one I bought was a, a water ionizer. It uh, basically, um, elect the generators pretty much all use uh, electrolysis, but there's a couple different you know methods of this. Um, it's the decomposition of water into hydrogen and oxygen molecules. So this one, um, the ionizers, they're running an electric current through and they're, they're decomposing the water molecule. Now, what ends up happening is hydrogen is um, very insoluble in water. It's only slightly soluble in water so that the reaction and dissolution kinetics play a big role. Um, these electrolysis machines, they really depend on, on your source water. You have to have a high total dissolved solids for conductivity. So in Vancouver, Canada, we were less than three ppm, right? And TDS, that's why my machine didn't work at all. But then if you have too much, TDS, something called scaling happens. It's, it's a calcification and a calcium buildup on the plates. Um, as this happens, the, the, the bubbles that are being formed, they coalesce between the plate and the calcification. So they become larger and larger and larger, right? The bigger the bubble, the harder it is to dissolve, right? And, and um, you know, everyone uh, knows from like 
popular you know movies and media and stuff that physics gets really really weird the smaller you get well it actually gets weird even below about five microns right so when you go below five microns whether it's a particle or a gas it no longer obeys the same rules that a larger particle would so hydrogen um it, it's lighter than air right so when they're big bubbles they just pass straight through and they go up into the atmosphere right because it's, it's you know the lightest molecule there is but once you go below five microns they kind of just move in eddy currents they they maintain right until they coalesce larger so the smaller the bubbles you create right the more stable it is in the water the quicker it saturates and then you can actually keep more gas in beyond the saturation point without need for for pressurization right so I, I'm using elemental magnesium and organic acids, but I figured out the reaction kinetics and the dissolution kinetics to create um, bubbles in the low nano range, right? So, you know, at our first burst, right, when the cloud turns white, the water turns white, uh, the average bubble diameter is about 30 nanometers in size, right? So it takes a long time for those to coalesce to escape solution, right? So when it's at that peak, Right, we've been able to test and figure out that you know the true hydrogen concentration is about seven and a half milligrams a liter of ppm, but with the the nano particles of magnesium that are slowly reacting along with it and react basically the instant it hits your stomach, it's more like twelve and a half milligrams a liter of ppm, right? To get that equivalent dosage, right, saturated, you know, with the machine, you need to pressurize it to about one hundred and thirty psi. Right, so that is um, in addition to, you know, our, our truth and transparency policy. Uh, that high dose we're getting, right, and, and the the indication from the evidence that a higher intermittent dose is superior, right, leads to better results. Is why, you know, so many of the research teams around the world are turning to work with us. Right, we're working with like twelve universities right now. Right. Mm. You know, and it's because our technology gets this high dose, right? High concentration, intermittent burst. It's easy, right? You just drop it in half a liter of water, it reacts. We can easily placebo control it. We've made it, you know, a placebo tablet that is a, the same shape and size that reacts in the same amount of time, gives the same amount of magnesium, and just gives CO2 bubbles, mm. right? Instead of H2 bubbles. So we can easily placebo control it. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the additional benefits to researchers is, you know, it, it makes for a good trial, a, a trial that, uh, everyone can ensure the dose that it's placebo controlled properly, double blind properly, um, highest dose possible. And, you know, they have the freedom to make a good study and publish results no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, one of the, you know, one of the, uh, benefits of the, um, tablets is that you get like this uh, into the cells much more easily because it's so small and it's more bioavailable this way and uh, I also like the combination of the magnesium in there because uh, you get more bioavailable magnesium as well into the cells yeah. so it's uh, much much more yeah, because like most people are already deficient of magnesium as well so it's a uh, good percent. Uh, and most magnesium supplements aren't bioavailable right you know um, magnesium compounds are, are very strong molecules 
right? So you take a magnesium oxide and for the average person, it's only four or 5% bioavailable, right? Because our stomach acid isn't strong enough to break the bond between the magnesium and the oxygen, right? Um, well, our reaction is doing the work for you, right? In liberating the H2 with the buffering acids we have, it leaves free magnesium ions, right? So with magnesium supplements, your stomach has to do the work of breaking the compound down so that you get the magnesium ion. When you drink down the hydrogen water with our, with our hydrogen tablets, the magnesium is already in ionic form, free from you know, any other part in, in the compound. So your stomach has to do no work, right? So you know, from a biochemistry standpoint, it'll be completely bioavailable. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, it's been great uh, to talk with you and really fascinating. Like I would imagine that uh, we can, re we could really go into more detail with all the topics and uh, especially with new research coming out. Uh, but uh, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and uh, your work? So um, for the hydrogen, right, it's drinkhrw.com, right? And uh, I, I write pretty extensively, um, a lot of opinion pieces, but a lot on hydrogen too. The last year and a half, I've written about 300,000 words of content, so there's no shortage of information. Um, I am well-versed in the subject, uh, you know, on top of being the inventor of the technology, I uh, am working on a lot of the, the research from that angle. So, you know, I've got a couple uh, papers that I, I'm a contributor to that are under peer review right now for preclinical research. Um, and I, I uh, co-authored co a book chapter um, with, with Tyler LeBaron for um, a, a medical textbook for Elsevier USA. Right. So I, I'm really, I'm well-versed in the subject, right? So it's not just, uh, when you read my blog, it's not marketing stuff. You know, there's a lot of science. If you want to get nitty gritty on the science, I go into it a lot. Um, and also if you're interested in, in you know, adding uh, the scientific method into your biohacking, then it's myjourney.science, right? And we're taking emails now. We're hoping to be live by uh, um, early 2021. Awesome. That's good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also use uh, your uh, drink HRV. So it's a, uh, I find it really useful for, yeah, like if you sleep bad or if you, I don't know, suffer from something uh, highly inflammatory, so to say, to kind of mitigate it. And you do feel it quite uh, rapidly that you're just kind of more Have relaxed. Have you tried one of the baths yet? Sorry? Have you tried one of the baths yet? The baths? Uh, no, yeah. no, I haven't. No yet. <laughs> so uh, give it a try after you kick your ass, your, your, your ass in a workout. Um, one of our uh, new clinical trials is under peer review right now. It was just a small pilot trial because we were curious if it was going to work after a single bath. But after a single bath and a crossover design, it significantly reduced delayed onset muscle soreness, both by the, the VAS score and by creatine kinase. Oh. Right? So it basically you know, protected like base levels of creatine kinase, right? yeah. you know, which is a, one of the major contributing factors to muscle soreness. Right. Okay, yeah. I'll have to try it out. <laughs> well, it was good talking with you. And uh, yeah, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or habit you wish you had up sooner? Ooh. I think I wish I would have recorded all of my outcomes sooner. You know, mm -hmm. I've always tried to do things like when I started with hydrogen, um, I took pictures in the mirror every day and I measured, you know, like measured my, my mobility and my arthritic joints. I think I wish I'd structured my, my uh, biohacking attempts 
better from day one. I started systematically doing it about six months ago, um, maybe a little bit longer, where, where I'll run a, a 30 day control, right? And then I'll, I bring on a protocol and I'll monitor, you know, all of my outcomes, right? You know, by, by my aura ring, right? To look if something did or I have other devices, you know, I've got a, a ring. Um, I actually think this one is from Finland. It's a, a, a mood ring, you know, yeah. for to lower your levels of stress. Um, but I have all sorts of, you know, all sorts of devices um, where I'm just systematically looking into every biohacking practice to see, is it benefiting me as an individual? Right. Because mm. I think that's important, right? You know, some things, it might be good, but is it in conjunction with the protocol I'm already on? Right. Or does something cancel each other out? Yeah. Right. And, and there's one device in particular, um, you know, I haven't published it yet, but it's interesting because I've got some research on it, but, uh, and I even ran it for an extra month, right. Just to see if something happened, but um, overwhelmingly it decreased my health outcomes. Right. And uh, you know, and it's, it's a really popular biohacking, you know, wearable device, right? That that is supposed to aid in recovery, um, and, and maybe it does work for some people. But for me, it really decreased, right? A lot of my parameters of sleep, for instance, it actually decreased some of my um, parameter recover, like my recovery parameters after exercise. You know, in another controlled, you know, um, experiment I did with it, and um, you know, after washing out right and stopping using it for a few weeks my my markers have actually like my sleep quality and my recovery and everything has returned to where it was at the base right mm -hmm. so i'm fairly confident that this device actually had a, a negative effect on me which means it's working right it's working in some way right, right. because anything that can be beneficial can also be harmful right because it's eliciting a change physiologically yeah exactly well, it's good uh, advice, and uh, yes, uh, you have to kind of know, you have to measure, at least have some feedback about uh, what you're doing to know whether or not it is working properly. Exactly. Well, it was good talking with you, and uh, yeah, we probably will have to do like another podcast in the future when we have more uh, more uh, research. Sounds good. There, there's some really cool stuff that uh, we have under manuscript prep right now. Um, you know, stuff I'm working on, stuff other guys are working on. Um, you know, new clinical trials, new preclinical stuff regarding like sleep, you know, some really cool research that I'm sure you'll be interested in. Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll uh, leave all the links in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming. No problem. Thanks for having me.